and welcome to this edition of the Modern Times Podcast. John Guzan and Karen Weil. Hello, Karen. Hi there. Today we are going to be talking about the um, very mysterious and probably very sad um, disappearance of Jamal Khashoggi um, at the Saudi Arabia uh, or the Saudi Arabian uh, embassy in Turkey. Um, first off, just you know, some kind of thoughts. I mean, obviously, Karen, things have been changing quickly. There's been a lot of different stories. Um, but it does seem like um, this is no, you know, Elvis wanting to get away. This is, um, you know, this isn't a guy that's just going to show up. Although in that Washington, the when the Washington Post released his last column, they said we were holding it for a while, hoping that he was going to come back and that that he can help me edit this. Um, and now right. th- even they are kind of, you know, uh, have come to the conclusion that he's not coming back. Um, Initial thoughts on 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 kind of the discussion and what's gone on um, with, with um, you know from Trump to uh, the Saudi Arabian uh, you know, government folks talking about um, you know we don't know and then it goes to um, it was interrogation gone wrong and then you don't know uh, it, wh- what have you been able to make from this does it just seem complete uh, disinformation and, and disingenuousness you know from the start uh, that would be an understatement. You know, that the Saudi government could not properly explain any of this from the start it should have been a huge red flag. Number two, and, and you, you already talked about this, that they kept changing their story, well, we don't know where he is, to, well, he died, but who knows, to, well, he died, but gosh, a one bad guy. Uh, by the way, who is a Saudi uh, military man who is now mysteriously dead, speaking of mysteriously, in a car crash. Interesting mm-hmm. timing, wouldn't you say? Oh, very. To, he's the one. He's the bad guy. Um, all of this is horrible enough. But, of course, because we have an illegitimate monster in the White House right now who desperately wants the Saudi money, whose hotels are being propped up by Saudi businessmen and by the government itself there, and who simply doesn't give a damn about human rights or this country's fading reputation, which gets worse with each day that he remains in office, um, because he doesn't care. This just simply magnifies how terrible it is when you have one rogue government that unfortunately way too many American presidents, Trump is a piece of garbage, but him aside, and that includes some democratic presidents. It's not just the Bush family. Unfortunately, that was way too, uh, easy with the Saudi government. Yeah. Or cozy Um, is cozy. A good word. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was saying is cozy a good word for that, for that relationship. Cozy, Correct. And we can talk about the history as to why, and I'm sure many of our very smart, astute listeners know that, but You know, you're talking about American foreign policy going back decades that has just let the Saudis get away with murder. And yet that includes September 11th, 2001, 15 of the 19 hijackers were Saudi residents. There's very little doubt that the government itself there knew what was going on and they didn't do a damn thing to stop it. Um, So this is just, again, just like Trump is a symptom of American apathy you know, you know, combined with one political party that is simply not, just is no longer in its right mind at all. And, 
you know, that's that's one thing. But then the Saudi government's actions are, the, you know, again, the result of it thinking it can do whatever it wants, always and forever, because the U.S. government isn't going to do anything. But I also think because they figure Trump not only is not going to punish them, but may have even been okay with this. And yes, I will I will stand by that comment. Um, and just based on what Trump has said, is not reassuring in any way, shape, or form. Well, we, you know, well, of course, he keeps touting. Just another quick thing. I'm sorry. You know, this uh, hundred and something billion dollar arms deal. Actually, it's only fourteen point five billion. That didn't even that didn't even originate in the Trump administration. That was during Barack Obama's tenure. And you know, make of that what you will. Uh, and of course, another little thing I want to throw out there, and this has been documented, the Saudi government just this week deposited $100 million into the U.S. Treasury account. Now, again, you, you, you read something like that, and a lot of bells just start ringing. So, Well, you know, I did this, see somewhere, supposedly, it was for the partially, um, it's for the rebuilding of Syria, um, which we're leading. Oh, okay, thank you. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't even see that explained anywhere. Unless I missed it, so thank you. Well, I mean, at least that's you know, I mean, it's 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 it. That, that is what is sure. you know, and then you know, there's plenty of people that can say, well, you know, why are we leading the rebuilding of Syria? But you know, that's a whole different um, uh, sort of discussion. Um, oh, yes, it is. Um, but you know, it's about Jamal Khashoggi, but it's not at the same time. Um, uh, what he's been railing against still exists, and the reason why um, he's missing is likely because of the stance he took and his opinion on um, the Arab world and Saudi Arabia particularly. Um, and um, as we discussed before the podcast, one of the things we sort of wanted to do is kind of give a rundown because we kind of had felt like um, it's easy in this, in this, in this world of five minute sound bites to gloss over um, his, his credentials or how much he knows or how connected um, this man was that, that ended up um, being, you know, likely tortured and killed. Um, um, obviously, the Turkish tapes um, created a whole different sort of face on it. I don't think anybody could really deny it anymore because the Turkish government was saying, we have audio of, of the, of the uh, uh, interrogation. Um, and, but, yeah, and... I just want to say quickly, and we don't need to go into all of the, the literally gory details here. This man reportedly was dismembered while he was still alive. Starting with his fingers. Yeah, right. And, um, you yeah. know, very, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, out of the like, you know, the worst um, uh, violent movies that I could think of in the United States, um, you know, brought to reality. But, you know, some of the things that 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 is very interesting, uh, you know, that he, I think it's glossed over that he was a columnist for the Washington Post. And to me, that's his most insignificant role um, that he has ever had as just a single columnist for the Washington Post. Now, yeah, he has a Western audience. It's completely different than who he had been speaking to. Um, but this is a guy that for, um, you, know, uh, you know, 30, 40 years, I think, um, was, was, was part of the... Uh, I think it was 1982, he graduated from Indiana State University, um, came to the United States and studied. Um, but, you know, more importantly than that, who he was. His grandfather, um, who married a Saudi Arabian woman and then became the personal physician to 
King Abdelaziz Al Saud, who is the founder of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So his grandfather is the personal physician to Al Saud. Um, he was the nephew of the high-profile Saudi Arabian arms dealer Adnan Khashoggi, who was known for his part mm-hmm. in the Iran-Contra scandal. Um, and he was also the cousin of Dodi Fayed, who was dating uh, Princess Diana. Um, so, you know, obviously a guy who, um, <laughs> he wasn't just some journalist who came up from, you know, a Bedouin tribe. This is a guy who, um, you know, professional, educated families at the highest levels of the Saudi Arabian government, um, you know, has connections with him, but not part of the royal family, which I think is very important to this whole discussion. Um, you know, he's he had some influence had ran around in those circles, but wasn't part of the whole scheme. Um, uh, anything about that younger, you know, part of his life before we get into really what he ended up doing as a journalist from uh, 84 or 80, 85 to uh, 2017, 2018? Well, I, I want to say, first of all, this man obviously comes from a very prominent family. No question about that. And, you know, he could have coasted on that. He could have lived a playboy's life, as so many of these Saudi billionaires have. Right. But he decided he wanted to do something a little more meaningful and become a journalist. Yeah, and he also got a Bachelor's um, of Business Administration and, and then becomes a journalist. Right. He studied <laughs> in, you know, the heartland of America, right? He's at right. Indiana State University. Uh, here's somebody who obviously had an interest in getting to know the United States a little better. And I, I think that probably had a tremendous effect on him in terms of appreciating this country's freedoms and its principles when it had them a little more, it seems. Yeah, and it, and, um, and it, and it wasn't the only time he was exposed. As is, you know, if you look at Bin Salman's um, um, the, uh, the curriculum vitae, um, he studied exclusively in Saudi Arabia where um, uh, uh, Khashoggi and others uh, didn't um, uh, you know they, they they went out of the country um, they got some exposure to other ways of thinking um, he, so Khashoggi comes back from the United States he's a regional manager for a set of bookstores for for a couple of years um, and then he works as a correspondent for the Saudi Gazette and as assistant manager uh, for our cause from 85 to 1987 and um, and then he works at varied daily and weekly Arab newspapers from 87 to 1990. Um, and then he becomes the managing editor and acting editor-in-chief of Al Medina in 1991. And he stays there um, for eight years where uh, until 1999, whereas Times, um, you know, he, uh, you know, is supporting um, uh, women's rights and, and, and other human rights, um, um, uh you know, pieces in Saudi Arabia from 1991 and 99 at that time. He's also a foreign correspondent in Afghanistan, Algeria, Kuwait, Sudan, Middle East. Um, and some people even claim he, he served with both Saudi uh, intelligence and the U.S. in Afghanistan during this period. Um, he became an, a, a deputy editor of Arab News and served in the Post um, for four years from 99 to 2003. And then he went to... Um, where, you know, no matter what he did and what, he, what exposure he got, um, he finally got promoted to uh, becoming the editor-in-chief of the Saudi Arabian Daily Al-Watan, which is one of the biggest uh, daily newspapers in the country, if not the biggest. Um, and then he's fired in, in uh, he was only there for less than t- two months 
Um, he was fired in 2003 by the Saudi Arabian Ministry of Information because he allowed a columnist to criticize the Islamic scholar Ibn Taymiyyah, um, who's considered the founding father of Wahhabism. Um, and it led to his dubious reputation as the West as a liberal progressive. Um, and then he went to London and lived in voluntary exile, where he later then joined al-Faisal's team as an advisor, um, who was the um, uh, Saudi Arabian uh, ambassador to the UK. Um, then served as a mediate to Turkey al-Faisal while the latter was a Saudi Arabian. Um, and then in 2007, he went back to al-Watan. Um, so it seems like, you know, he's, he, he then, a column by poet Ibrahim al-Ami -Al challenged the basic Salafi premises and was published in Al-Watan in 2010. And then he was forced to resign again for a second time. And, and, and he said he was leaving for his, to focus on personal projects, but um, he, he, he was, he was done. Um, and one of the things I thought was even more interesting is what he ended up doing after. He's just kind of this freelance guy doing things. But um, in 2015, he launched a satellite news channel, Al Arab, based in Bahrain, um, that was backed by Saudi Arabian billionaire Prince Al Walid Bil Talal, one of the guys that was um, put in the Ritz prison um, earlier this year and supposedly held for $6 billion um, of. Ransom money, um, non-corruption money, um, you know, whatever that was that happened at the Ritz, which no one really knows, um, because you have a government police state who's, who's, who's keeping it down and no one wants to speak about it because they might end up sitting in a chair being dismembered. Um, but he was obviously close with, with uh, Alawid bin Talal, who, who owns plenty of things, um, one of the largest uh, Saudi investors. He invested in Apple and other things. Um, it was only on the air for 11 hours before it shut down by Bahrain in 2015. Um, and then he ended up working for a lot of different people and going to the Washington Post. So now we bring him back up to what we hear in the Western media of a columnist for the Western Post. Uh, fired twice by the official government organization when he's working at the largest newspaper where they can fire editors if they don't like what they do or put him in exile. Then he tries to start his own Arab television channel with a Saudi Arabian billionaire who ends up getting put into the Ritz prison um, and paying billions of dollars um, back to Al-Salman in order to get out or who knows what happened. Um, so again, a lot more between to his career than just being Washington Post columnist for about, what, 16, 18 months? Right. Um, no, he had, it, you know, it seems like he had an extraordinary career. I mean, whether everybody agreed with everything he did or everything he wrote. And, you know, one theory is he really started making the Saudis mad because he was criticizing Trump. So yeah, I'm, that probably really was neither here nor there at the end, but. Yeah, you know, I would have to still, think that, that I would have to think that some of the things that he did, and you know, I, I don't, I don't know how much they care about Trump there. When uh, you know those guys in the Ritz had probably had not much to do with Trump, um, right? But uh, but you were right that the response to it is, and 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 that was one of the things I found interesting when you're talking about having the administration we have. Anything that happens to Saudi Arabia is a huge challenge to any president of the United States. Um, just because of, of oil reserves and where we are in our, on our energy independence, we know that 
we've been supporting that regime for a long time because of of, of what they have in the ground there. Um, and it's always, right. you know, difficult to deal with. But, you know, it hasn't, um, you know, whether they're emboldened um, is, is something that, that, that probably you need to, uh, a fleet of 100 Robert Mullers in order to come um, to a conclusion about that, that you could speak, you know, one way or the other. But, um, you know, he obviously did some things and, you know, it might it may, it might be emboldening. Um, you know, what, what they do because they know that they're not going to get any ramifications, you know, there's not going to be any ramifications to them. Um, uh, just look what happened with Canada. Um, you know, they criticized, um, you know, their reaction and they were just basically saying, we're pulling out of Canada, screw you guys. Um, right. Uh, and, you know, you know, just a kind of a, a foreign policy of, of, of schoolyard bullies. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention before we get into Saudi Arabia today and start talking to some of the, about some of these other things was um, there also supposedly is a relationship between Khashoggi and Osama bin Laden, who supposedly he knew him in the 80s and 90s in Afghanistan. And that supposedly he was one that, you know, really tried to um, persuade bin Laden to quit violence. And as we know that there's a huge connection between the bin Laden family and the Saudi royal family, um, and I'm sure between, obviously, Khashoggi's family, they ran in the same circles. Um, I'm sure of it um, uh, because they're, you know, just that level below royalty, um, but, you know, below the the, the, the ruling family. Um, but supposedly he met, um, you know, bin Laden, knew him well, told him to, you know, kind of, you know, give up on the violence in order to effectuate change. Um, but obviously a big, a big impact um and a huge career for this guy that's been doing all these things knew a lot of things been fighting forever and you figure that now at this point too all of a sudden they decide with this crackdown it's obviously the difference in saudi arabia and maybe we could talk about um you know his first post for for washington his first blog or or opinion piece for the washington post was about how um um the Saudi Arabia wasn't always this repressive and now it's unbearable. And it almost seems like you see what he's done uh, before you would get fired or put in exile. Um, now they cut you up. Yeah. Is, is, is that, is that almost like a, a you know, it, it, it seems somewhat ironic um, to me that that was what he was writing about. And it seems like they've proved it for him by taking him. Right. And I mean, to jump back to something I said earlier, again, the Saudi government, I mean, there's no wonder why Trump likes these guys. They have never been held accountable, really, for anything. And that's something uh, he has in common with them. Although eventually everybody's luck runs out. I'll just say that. But I mean, you know, it was obvious that the Saudi government... Well, let me let me take that. Let me strike that. But it's out. You know, we know that Saudi hijackers were involved in the September 11th terrorist attack, and there, there's a lot of very strong evidence that the Saudis knew, the royal family and the government knew this, and again, it did nothing to stop it. And of course, we know that the Saudi Arabia's name was omitted from various reports, such from the 9/11 Commission. I mean, back, back then, 15, 16 years ago. That should have been a huge red light about this country and, you know, its rulers. Uh, but as we know, the Bush family flew, the Saudi royal family, right out of the country, right after 9-11. You know, why that was done um, 
To this day, I don't really understand. And of course, the Bush family, as we know, had a very close connection with some of the Saudis. goes back to George H.W. Bush's days as an oilman. Um, and that's not to say, I'm, I'm sure that the Bush family probably is very horrified about this. Uh, but still, that, that just always creeped me out, the kind of relationship that they had. Uh, Carlisle um, group. With, with these people, when maybe they shouldn't have had it. Um, and uh, again, it, now you had a few years later when there was a lawsuit filed against the Saudis to finally make them accountable for the 9-11 hijacking. And that didn't go anywhere. And then you had, there was law, there was a law passed in Congress to do something to hold them accountable. Now, President Obama, and this was a big mistake in my opinion, and I, real, I understand there were some legal reasonings behind it, but he vetoed it. Um, I, so I just, I, I, I just, to me, to me, John, and I don't know how you feel, so it just keeps coming back to this country's coddling of this, of this horrible group of people, all because we need their oil. And truthfully now, we really don't anymore. This country is now producing enough oil on its own, along with maybe some other suppliers. Of course, we can't get any from Iran for reasons that don't need to be explained. But this is just this is how it's been for 40 something plus years after OPEC was formed. And, you know, on another note, you've seen sort of the stock market drooling at the prospects of Saudi Aramco going public. And I just it, it's this horrible tangle of money and of, of realpolitik, as the term is called, when, yes, we know we're dealing with terrible governments, but we need A, B, and C from them. Uh, yeah. So you've just got this horrible combination of, of bad faith belief systems that, you know, end up with a government thinking it can just brutally, brutally murder a man and there'll be no repercussions. But I... You know, there's a saying, it came from Joseph Stalin, one of the most horrific human beings ever to live on this planet, uh, that when one person dies, it's a tragedy. When, you know, 40,000 die, it's a statistic. And I think with the case of Jamal Khashoggi, that is the tragedy, and that's why so many people are paying attention. You know, Saudi Arabia has been waging war in Yemen now for a while, uh -huh. and now, the country is on the verge of starvation. It, I mean, that, that is a huge, huge international humanitarian crisis uh, that most people in this country are not paying any attention to. And, for example, when the Saudis bombed a school bus not long ago, killing, um, I, I think it was at least 30 or 40 children, it, it made news for a day or so. And, yes, that was horrifying, but everybody went on with their business. But again, because we're dealing with an individual here, and I know it's not fair, but that's just the nature of how sometimes people tend to view any kind of unjustified killing. Uh, you know, again, I think Khashoggi has legs because, uh, and uh, the story does, excuse me, because of just this man, what he represented, and just this entire sort of, well, there's just a lot of suspicions that are swirling around it. 
I'm not articulating it that well. Forgive me. No. I, I think it's, it's, it's definitely a story a lot of people are paying attention to. And it, it's not going to go away anytime soon. Uh, you know, there was a uh, I think yeah. it was in the New York Times, Jared Kushner, who was another major player in this nightmare, was claiming that he, he kept pressing Trump to sort of go easy on Mohammed bin Saul, the leader of the country, who some are saying is the one who really orchestrated the killing of Khashoggi. We don't know that for certain, but saying that this would just blow over. And um, I think, I mean, I think Kushner's wrong here. In fact, there's an article in The New Yorker. It's not about him, but it, it says that the Saudi crown prince Mohammed bin Salman wagered the, that the world wouldn't miss another murder, murder journalist. And so far, and this is from the New Yorker. The quote is, "He has been spectacularly wrong." Oh, and you know, we have been talking about, I think, a lot of different things here, and we know that um, the story ends up being the way that the government and the people of the Middle East and the Arab world are not free. I mean, isn't that? I mean. You know, we had started talking about that, um, but the story just isn't the murder. And even once you solve it, it doesn't end what's going on, right? I mean, isn't the story greater than 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 just him being killed? Maybe it shines that spotlight oh, on something else. Uh, what, yeah, for sure. I mean, again, I you know, I I think, and I I keep I hate to keep harping back on this, but you know, the United States has just pursued in general a very wrong-headed and misguided foreign policy when it comes to the Middle East for a long time. Yes. Uh, you know, it's dating really back to the 1920s to some degree when modern Saudi Arabia was formed. Uh, never mind what we did in Iran in 1953. Never mind, of course, the whole disaster that is Iraq, not just the war in 2003, but of course, dating back 20 years before that even, when the, this country was funding Saddam against the Iranians, you know, in the hopes that that would topple the Iranian government. Well, it didn't. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's another element to this whole nightmare that one of the reasons, of course, the Trump administration is backing Saudi Arabia so much because Saudi Arabia wants the Iranian government overthrown. And, you know, never mind what kind of horror show would follow if we tried to go into Iran, right? But so there's just this other horrendous element that's that's happening uh and, you know the trump administration thinks they're clever and nobody's going to notice that well they're you know the new york times had a, a very big article on it uh i believe either today or yesterday um yeah, well, but it's it's just it's, it's just again there, there are so many problems in the middle east and it, you know it just it breaks your heart because you know there are millions of people in these countries who are good and decent and that includes Saudi Arabia. I want to make very clear, I despise the government, but I have nothing against Saudi people themselves. Um, but it just, it, it just it hurts, because you know a lot of them, they know this is bad. They don't want to live like this. And sadly, they have very few outlets you know, to change things Or they're right brainwashed now. one way or the other. I mean, because that's the other factor. And I think it's, it's, you know, and this is going to be a little bit longer of a point to make, but it, I'm trying to make the same point that you've been making about how that reflects upon what we have in our country. And not necessarily that Trump is doing X, Y, or Z, but it's just his approach where, and, and, and let me get there, but it's, you know, we had that idea of, you know, the United States being that, that, that shining light on the hill, right? 
Well, yeah. once we all had, you know, can uh, have agreed that that has kind of stopped. That is not something that goes on anymore. That's not that feeling. When you are saying, you know, you shouldn't have a free press, everything's fake news, you shouldn't make um, deals, the whole justice system is screwed, the FBI stinks, you know, when we have what we're talking about now, um, there's no, th- that whole shining light on a hill is a philosophical bent. It's a way that you take the approach, and it allows you in these times to speak from a position of moral superiority that people don't think you're preaching to them because you say, look, we go through all this. I have to put up with X, Y, and Z, even when it's politically not expedient for me. But that's what it is to live in a free society that we have to let these things go on and we have to support them, whether it's 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 100% right at the time, you know, the, 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 the proper presidential reaction, which we don't have anymore. No, um, but that's been not. happening. But that's been the the black hole in that whole shining light on a hill has been to countries in the Middle East who have a lot of oil. And like you had mentioned, for 50 plus years, 60 years, 80 years, I mean, depends on what's what what era you want to start talking in. But we haven't cared so much about freedom and democracy in the Middle East as long as they kept selling us cheap oil. And, and we know that it's there. Um, and it was one of my first arguments that I had with somebody after September 11th was, you know, we should have always just fostered freedom in their country because then the, at least they would have stayed there. A lot of times the Middle Eastern countries use the United States as scapegoats for their own oppression. Um, and it was just that whole bait and switch like the Soviet Union did in the 80s. Um, you know, blame the West. Um, but we're going to take advantage of you and take everything that you have. And, you know, we'll, we'll blame everybody else. Um, and it elicits they they don't they don't educate a lot of their lower class people. They don't give them um, any means to 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 prosper. Um, and you don't give them any political dissent. You don't allow them to have political dissent. And so when you have those things, we have the situation that's there. And and then it it begets itself. It's almost like you know one of the closest parallels I can think of um, is it's it's almost like South Africa. Um, you know, without degrading what happened there, because that was horrible and even more extensive. But I mean, in the government reaction to things where you start then saying, OK, well, we've already tried to clamp you down and you're not being quiet. So now we're going to start killing some of you. Are you going to get the message then? It's almost, you know, that's, you know, what happens in government speak when government feeds each other, um, uh, government bureaucrats feed each other and parties in power feed each other in order to change things. They try to clamp down harder and harder. And there's just more dissent. Um, but it's it's been the black hole, I think, in in the shining light for that we've had for 80 years. It doesn't get any better when you have Trump that can't come out and say, you need to be free at this point. And these people are coming out. This is the per- you know, perfect moment um, you know, for a president to do that. But you don't even have the opportunity because you're one who's been degrading your own country's institutions that allow you to, to hopefully not ever get to that level. Um, and, and, and that's what you see in Saudi Arabia. And to me, that's the bigger story that I just don't think people are paying attention to. The headlines roar about him being killed and that he's a dissenter. But how bad it actually is in Saudi Arabia that you can't there's no freedom of the press. There's no, uh, there's no real freedom anywhere. You, if you go out and, and talk bad about the government in the street, you will go to jail, um, and you might get tortured to death. Um, and you know, either you're part of the uh, oligarchy or you're not. And 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 those are things that I think, as a buying public, as a as a country who who invests in things, we need to understand that. 
Um, and, and you know the same thing happens with Iran and 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 in Iraq and in Syria. Um, we allow these dictators to stay there. Um, you know, and Iran was just like a a a a, a reaction to um, Western installed dictators to have an Islamic installed dictator. Um, but you know, but th- that almost dr- you know drives itself organically. But it's still part of the issue there and. Um, I don't think there's another region that is as imbued with, um, um, uh, you know, oligarchies or dictatorships as a rule. Um, we know that maybe Egypt is the only real free country. Turkey is not anymore. There's not a real Arab country or Muslim country, Middle Eastern country that's run democratically. And, and, and that's the biggest problem. And it's what this whole story is about. Um, and, and the current administration can't help us get there. Um, you know, we want to talk about North Korea. That's pretty bad. But the Middle East still is a situation that it's at. And Jared Kushner needs to solve that issue and open these countries up instead of trying to figure out a way that they're not going to worry about Israel. Because, you know, even, even Solomon and others have said that they're going to move towards the point of recognizing Israel. It's about these countries not having an iron fist on themselves. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. No, no, you make you make some incredibly important points, John. Um, and I think two things here. You know, again, the the Western press and especially the political elite in this country. You know, Mohammed bin Salman went on a PR blitz tour here not long ago. He was photographed with Bill Clinton and all kinds of titans of industry. And, of course, uh, you know, I think he met Trump and some other uh, people. And there was just all this press, most of it far too premature and naive, that, oh, this man's a great reformer. He's letting women drive. Meanwhile, you know, his his henchmen are holding people up at the Ritz-Carlton and and torturing some of them. You know, I just, that, again, that to me... I thought, I don't believe for one moment this guy is any real reformer. Um, and so, again, you, you just, you've had too many in sort of the mainstream media circles, as well as, as the people I just mentioned, including Bill Clinton at all, who just have accommodated these, these thugs way too much. And now they think that, again, they can kill people and completely get away with it, no matter how big the international firestorm. I, I want to point out something on Twitter from Paul Krugman, the liberal New York Times columnist and Nobel Prize winner. Of course, obviously, we know he's no fan of Trump. Huh. Um, but he wrote a tweet yesterday, and I, I think it's pertinent here. Um, if the last few tweets are being, because he was talking about, he was talking about the economy, but he said, on a different subject, it's quite wrong to suggest that Trump doesn't care that his Saudi friends may have murdered a critical journalist. Journalists, everything we know suggests that he approves of what they did. And I, you know, this is a guy who's a noted and respected columnist saying this, and he's not the only one. Um, I, you know, Donald Trump doesn't give a damn that this man was murdered. All he cares about is making sure the Saudis are basically enriching him. And until we get rid of, you know, until we get a decent human being back in the White House, and even if it's Mike Pence, you know, and, and if the Democrats can win back at least one House of Congress, and if I suspect there'll be hearings on this, that's that's why they their winning Congress is important to maybe some justice happening here is to so we can maybe really find out what happened uh, to Khashoggi and exactly who was responsible. 
But I, I just think you know, there's going to have to be a wholesale change in our political leadership along with this, this kind of rosy reporting about people who, you know, they just don't live up to it. You know, yes, if, 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 if Mohammed bin Salman has actually was not responsible for torturing people or doing other autocratic things, and if he allowed women to drive, well, great. You know, he's still not perfect, but maybe some, some really good things are starting to happen in this country. But it just seems like Saudi Arabia is taking a lot of steps back rather than forward right now. And um, I, I will also honestly say, John, you know, it's not going to happen anytime soon. But there has to come a point, and I'm not the only one saying this, Stephen Schmidt, the well-known GOP, well, he's former GOP now, he's oh, left yeah. the party. Oh, yeah. He was one of the main advisors to John McCain 10 years ago and, and a very sharp cookie. Uh, but he and others are saying it's basically time to just cut ties, period, with the Saudi Arabian government. As harsh as that may seem, as as dangerous as that could be to our economy, but otherwise they're just going to keep getting away with this kind of horrific stuff that they don't deserve to. But, you know, we're not there yet because, you know, we don't have somebody in office who cares one bit about this this country's honor or integrity. Well, let's talk realistically about the future, um, at least the short-term yeah. future here. Um, do we see any change? Because we know that there is, you know, what happened in Syria um, ended up being a disaster. You still got Assad in power, um, who, by the way, is a, at least a son um, and maybe even a grandson of a former warlord, right? So, I mean, these are people well, that have been... his father was Hafez Assad, the last ruler of Syria who died in 2000. Yeah, and his grandfather was no... Uh, you know, prize either. Um, oh, okay, I'm not so familiar with him. I remember Hafez Assad. So, so you know, he, I mean, yeah, you know, they pass, too. you know, they pass over um, democracy. Um, you know, I mean, they pass over um, his little dictatorship to his son. His son is able to hold on to it through all of this with the help of, um, you know, Putin and Russia. And we know that it's there. We know that there's, it's happening everywhere. Um, do we see any change? Because it seems like there is not. Um, you even have, uh, because of the, the, the fear of terrorism, um, because we know what happened in Syria, all of a sudden it became a big deal. And so people started fighting, you know, Al-Qaeda Islamic State that was, that was forming there in those areas. Um, is, is there a future, um, short term, long term and how long term and how do you think we could get there? I mean, I know this is kind of. Hey, Karen, solve the Middle East, but um, Karen, solve the Middle East. (laughs) (laughs) I I wish I had that kind of intellect and power to do so. Um, Well, again, we're going, Donald Trump has to be out of power, for starters. Mm -hmm. Speaking of an autocratic ruler, okay? Now, we don't know when that's going to occur. We've talked about several scenarios that they finally. Well, let me ask you you then. I mean, how much do you. But he's, he's the biggest problem in terms. Of the United States angle. Now, so wait, 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 hey, before we move any further then, so let me ask you then, then you agree with me that it is folks like the United States and Russia and China and some of these big oil um, uh, buyers who need to also be along because if they're not, then nothing's going to change on its own? I agree with you on that. Okay. No, I was just asking. Russia is Russia. That's, never mind that. Right, right, right. Maybe Russia might actually come to its senses and understand (laughs) <laughs> that it also has to tell the Saudis, stop right now. And may, I don't know, I would put more money on China 
being the main superpower or, you know, economic superpower that, you know, might actually scare the Saudi Arabians a, a little bit. Uh, I, I don't have any faith in Russia right now, to be honest. But it would take, yes, if, if you had sensible people in two of the countries, you know, China is excluded in terms of because their leader at least somehow has some common sense. Uh, oh, but, he, have, know, but he's an autocrat too. Office. I mean, I mean, we know that China, China isn't a free country either. So you know, no, uh, it's not. But I, I think uh, Xi at least occasionally, you know, understands what really matters in a way that Trump and Putin do not. That you know, but again, we'd have to have all three of these nations fully aligned to put real pressure on the Saudi Arabian government to reform and to hold, you know, be held accountable for its crimes. Number one. Number two, you'd have to have other Arab nations being willing to also publicly chastise the Saudi Arabians. Um, I'm not sure how, given, unfortunately, the situation with Egypt and Jordan and, and, and well, Turkey, but Turkey straddles, of course, Europe and the Middle East and has very much a foot in both worlds. Uh, you know, never mind uh, Jordan and, and perhaps some other nations at, at Syria's, you know, Syria's not even relevant to that conversation because of the civil war. But there would have to be just an incredible international attempt here. Um, I don't see that realistically occurring. I think what Americans can do on their own, and, and I, I know this is not the easiest thing to do, is this will sound stupid. Drive less. And, yeah. and you know, make, make, you know, I've heard this expression, make what the Saudis have worthless, and that's their oil. This is a country that has no other wealth, frankly, other than that. And, and I think, and I think economic sanctions, if they're applied properly, will really start, you will have some good effect, but that's not going to happen overnight. Uh, in the meantime, I, you know, I think the most realistic thing is if the Democrats take the House of Representatives, that they could, again, start holding hearings so at least more information comes about about this particular atrocity uh, regarding Khashoggi and maybe some others. Um, you know, there's, there's the International Criminal Court, but you know, I, you know, there's only so much power that has. I, I just I just think. The, the the way to force Saudi Arabia to reform it's it's a multi-layered it's a multi-layered uh, set of, of proposals but that takes again this huge international effort combined with the willingness of citizens themselves to to make clear to the Saudi you know the Saudi Arabian government that they're you know they're deeply in opposition to what they're doing. And, you know, there, there are no easy answers here. I, I'm kind of stumbling through this, so forgive me, everyone. Um, well, you know, I, you know, I mean... I think it's reached a critical mass now. And to some degree, if nothing else, more people are aware. And that that's, that that matters. It does matter. Um, but, you know, we know that, that, that what happens with time, though, is you never know what what's going to come next. Um, we, you know, we have elections here in a month. Um, it would be interesting to see what folks would do, um, you, you know, differently. Um, whether it would in, in, in impact anybody's votes if we were having discussions about this. Um, I, I mean, I think for people who already hate Trump or are very opposed to him, it's just going to be yet another example of how 
unfit and disgraceful this man is and how he needs to be reined in. Uh, for Trump's base, you know, they don't give a damn. Uh, I think maybe for some in the middle or some who voted for Trump but now regret it, you know, they might be having, you know, they might be thinking about this in terms of, is this the message I want my country to send? And that might motivate them to show up and vote for Democrats or you know, maybe vote for an independent candidate rather than a Republican. I, you know, I guess we'll have to see after the election. Uh, obviously, I think for voters, and we're not, you know, we're not here to talk about this today, health care is a much bigger thing, the economy, and, you know, to some degree, Trump's ethical violations. But, you know, I, I, you know there's no question in this story, like I said, it's, it's not going away anytime soon, no matter how much, you know, Mohammed bin Salman would like that to be the case, or people in the Trump administration, they're, you know, they're, they're just, you know, they're going to be thoroughly disappointed in that. Well, we'll see what happens in the future. Hoping, um, you know, one of the things I th- I found was interesting is that, you know, like we talked about before, it all depends. And you had mentioned, you know, Stalin's statement, um, uh, you know, when one person is killed, it's a tragedy. When 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 many people are killed, it's a, it is a statistic. I think that uh, Khashoggi was probably truly a statistic, um, but it's being treated as a, a single event tragedy. Um, we, we, we probably don't think that he was the first one or the last that will be treated in such a way by the current government in Saudi Arabia or the, or, or the current ruling uh, class in Saudi Arabia. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, if, if someone else of, of, of uh, the same high profile, and I think that's one of the other reasons why I think I wanted to bring that out, is that you know if it wasn't him, maybe no one hears about it. Um, so... Uh, at least there's something to that, um, you know, when, when, when your death can mean so much, um, uh, you know, maybe um, it ends up becoming, um, you know, a good long-term result, um, although I wouldn't have wished it upon anybody, but you know how it, how it is with martyrs. Um, it sometimes works out that way, um, and that's, I guess, the only thing that we can hope to get out of it at this point. Um Karen, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your discussions as always. Um, Thank you. Is there anything else that you want to have as a, a final closing I statement just, on this um, whole deal? You know, God bless Jamal Khashoggi, and my heart goes out to his wife and their their children. You know, this man was, you know, his children were American-born citizens, and it's clear that Mr. Khashoggi loved America too, um, and he made a difference in life. And I, again, I, I just hope justice prevails here, not simply just for his sake, his family's sake, but I think for basic decency and humanity's sake. But eventually, you know, I will say this, John, the truth's going to come out one way or the other. It always does. Um, and at yes, some it point does. it will. Um, and maybe if we're not too old by the time it comes out, we can do another podcast on finding out exactly what happens because that's what I have a fear of. Um, when you have a, uh, this is not a, um, a private investigation. This is something that's being done by a government who's desiring to keep it covered up. And sometimes those things are very hard to get out. Um, so unless the government changes, I don't, I don't have much hope, um, that anything will be any different, but we can, we, but we can have at least a sliver of that hope. Um, and here's to hope. Um, Karen, thanks again for joining me and all of our listeners. We will talk to you next time.
Thank you. Thanks, everybody.